Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you're listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go, let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! Woo! All right, crowdfunders, it's that time again. I've taken a, we had a few days off from, from releasing episodes, and I'll get into the reasonings why that has happened. But coming up on today's episode, we're going to be talking with Patrick uh, Tatham from uh, Plico Bag. And if you go on Kickstarter right now and you are a traveler that has to wear a suit, you really need to check out this project. He's got eight days to go. He's up over $115,000. And this is a very unique travel bag um, uh, for people who do not like wearing suits. So that's who is uh, coming up in our interview today. So why do we do the Successfully Funded Podcast? I've got that question uh, before in the past. And, you know, we want to talk to project creators while their campaigns are live. And that way we're getting, you know, a, a sense and a glimpse into the emotions that are going around the campaign. Um, you know, we try to a- answer questions of, you know, what would you do differently or, or what do you think works? So we really want to make sure that the information that comes out of, this, uh, out of these episodes is the most up-to-date stuff uh, possible, as well as kind of giving you a glimpse into um, the mindset of a project creator. You know, what, what are they thinking about? What, how are they designing? How are they creating? How did they get to this point? You know, it just didn't happen overnight, that's for sure. So, so like I said, this interview I have with Patrick coming up is just, I don't know, I thought it was a really inspiring one, uh, really down-to-earth guy. Uh, and just a great, great conversation, and he's got a lot of great tips uh, to help you if you're thinking about running a Kickstarter campaign uh, down the road. So stay tuned after you put through, you know, if you, if you, can, if you can indulge my rant, or maybe you're going to want to fast forward. You can fast forward through my rant and get right to the good stuff, right? Get right to the interview with Patrick. But um, So a couple other things, too. So we are still doing our Ask Me Anything uh, on the podcast. Um, so if you want to text me, Right, so if you want to go ahead and text me, text me at two four eight two six four three four six four two four eight two six four three four six four. So go get a pencil, rewind this, write it back down. And what you can do here is shoot me a text, um, or you can even leave me a voicemail, whatever it is, and ask me uh, a question about social media, crowdfunding, branding, whatever it might be, and I'll go ahead and answer those questions. Um, on the episode. So got a great question the other day from, uh, actually it was a no name. He never sent me his name. So uh, this is a, a anonymous one. Anonymous. Did I just say anonymous? I'm sorry about that. Anonymous text that rolled in. And they were asking me about, do, you know, do, do you really think social media uh, is what you need to be doing for crowdfunding? And the answer is yes. We have kind of a saying around here. Um, I think Paul Paul kind of came up with is, um, you know, crowdfunding is just the currency of social media. Um, you've got to be social. You've got to be out on Facebook. You've got to be out on Instagram, Twitter, and all these sorts of tools. You might not have to be on them every day, but you need to have a presence and a tone to you and a vibe and an energy. And when we listen to this episode with Patrick, I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. You instantly feel his energy as soon as he starts talking. And I think you get that from almost every project creator that, that, that I've interviewed. There's just an energy to them. So that has to be present on Kickstarter, or excuse me, on social media. It's got to be, you know, kind of your, you know, just your vibe and stuff. So, you know, there's no right or wrong amounts, I feel like, anymore on social media. You know, I mean, I just read something the other day that, man, you might tops put two Facebook posts out a day. Tops. You know, so you might only want to do one or two. It, it, basically, all the platforms have really focused down on make good content. Be original. Be unique. Be yourself. Be weird. Whatever you are. And that's how you're going to get the best response. So if, if you want more information on how to handle social media, I definitely recommend checking out uh, the new book we put out called You Are Your Own Brand. Uh, if you're interested in that book, just shoot me an email, jeff at woodshed.agency, and I'll, I'll send you a link to where you can pick that up um, at seven bucks. So if you're interested in a, in a really great book and tutorial uh, to help you kind of through your th- kind of the thought process, the brains behind social media for your brand, definitely recommend checking out that book. So, all right, so let's flip into the therapy session. So what has been going on with Jeff Wenzel? Where have I been? Well, got a lot of stuff going on here. Where do we want to start, right? Where do you want to start? So let's go ahead and start first with the dad drama. So my dad had surgery a couple of Fridays ago uh, on his heart. And it went, the surgery went all right, 
but from that point on has been an absolute chaotic mess. So we're dealing with quite a bit here uh, in terms of, of my dad and his mental state, health. Um, he's just, I, I can't stress it enough, he's a train wreck. So he was in the hospital up until, I think, Friday before Memorial Day. Uh, so he was in, in the hospital for a good week. Came out uh, Saturday and Sunday, and Sunday night fell. Uh, actually, I think fell twice, hit his head. Um, is basically fainting all the time, something about AFib, I don't know, some, some medical term, and, and he is now back in the hospital. So this morning I had, I got to, I had a conversation with the, this nurse that showed up just so that he's, she's aware about uh, my parents are fighting to, n- I've, just, I've never seen this type of fighting before where they're literally just MFing each other and just going bonkers on it. I mean, just the intensity is just so bad. Um, I mean, you know, here, here's a little story too. So I, I stayed at my parents' house Friday night, um, just to kind of help, you know, just my dad was coming home. My mom needed some help if he, you know, just to get him inside and cause he's like literally not walking. I don't know. So we've got walkers everywhere and he's just, you know, not moving. So, uh, so that my parents get home at like six o'clock or whatever. And I'm already there and, and I, I get my dad inside and we have, we, we have two steps to get in my house. We don't have a basement. We don't have two stories we've got two steps from the garage into the kitchen so i get my dad in i tell him to stand just stand here for a second stand here for a second i'm gonna go help mom my my mom's got like you know looks like 20 bags you know groceries whatever just a bunch of stuff so i'm trying to bring those in and i turn back and you know my dad's not in the kitchen i'm like where the hell did my dad go right and i go around the corner and he's you know face first into his walker in the in the living room, I'm like, "What are you doing?" You know, I mean, we're talking like 30 seconds in, and he already fell. So ma- we got some major situations going on with on the dad front. It's so it's been quite heavy. Um, actually, I haven't talked to anybody yet this morning. This is Wednesday. I'm taping. I'm, I'm recording this early for tomorrow because I have a feeling tomorrow I'm going to have some stuff I got to do. Um, but you know, but man. It's starting to catch up with me, this whole dad shit. There's no doubt about it, where I'm just like, you know, I think I've been pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. You know, you know, a lot of people are just like sim- really sympathetic around me, and I appreciate that, and I'm just brushing it off. But, you know, these last two weeks have been just a mental you-know-what on my brain. So on top of that, Let's get into the other thing that's going on. So on top of that, my wife also filed for divorce. Yeah, I got that going on right now. Um, I have no explanation on it. I mean, outside of my 50%, I think I, I'm trying my best here. Uh, but she's unhappy, and, and uh, I am freaking out about that. Uh, so I have basically been hell-bent to save this marriage. Uh, I kind of felt that there was two forks in this road here I could have taken, or what, a fork in the road I could have taken. I, I could take the angry, uh, tell everybody to go F off, um, you know, kind of hunker down, you know, or I could do whatever it takes to save this marriage, make my wife happy, make my kids happy, whatever it might be, do whatever I can possibly do to save it. And that's the, that's the path I've chosen. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm a couple weeks into knowing this information, so I've been dealing with that internally and, and using, this ep- using this intro to, to kind of talk about it publicly and, and know that <clears throat> there's, there's some heavy stuff going on and, you know, that we're fighting through and, and, and trying to, you know, keep the spirits up as much as possible. But uh, I'm, 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 I'm working hard right now. I am working hard to um, to save this. I uh, I do believe that one of the best gifts I can give my kids is to show them how much I love my wife. You know, I think that's beneficial for both my daughter and my son to see. And you know, uh, every day I'm finding poems and sending them. I'm uh, just trying to do as much as I can. You know, my wife hated my mustache. I shaved that off. So if you see any new photos of me, you'll see uh, I'm gonna have to do some branding pivots. But it's heavy. It's real heavy around one Wednesday away. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, what are you going to do, right? What are you going to do? You take every day with a bit of a grain of salt, power through, and maybe and make the day as best as possible. So I'm not bringing up all this stuff to be, 
you know, that heavy. I apologize to Patrick, who, you know, we've got a great interview coming up. Um, but like I said, I use I use my own podcast as my own my own little therapy, my own my own venting, my own, you know, kind of getting this stuff off of my chest, out of my brain, and I guess unfortunately putting it on you, the listeners. So, you know, sorry, but that's why, you know, hopefully you guys understand, you know, um, the life of an entrepreneur, the life of, uh, the life of somebody trying to, to, to do as best he can, you know, and I guess it's, it's definitely not rainbows every day. So that's what's going on around here. So that's where I've been. So I apologize that there hasn't been an episode for the last two weeks. I apologize to Patrick. I think I'm about a week late of launching this. Uh, hopefully, you guys, everybody's understanding of what's going on around here. And uh, but yeah, so we're gonna get back to the grind here. So let's let me go ahead and uh, you know, cue you know, we'll end the somber music. Uh, start picking ourselves back up, and let's go ahead and kick to my conversation with Patrick from the the Plico bag. Patrick, I hit the record button, and I usually like to start with, um, you know, maybe like a little bit of sound check. So, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, I had American pancakes, uh, sausages, and um, uh, streaky bacon. You know, uh, pork belly. Okay, all right. Is there anything special about the American style pancakes? Well, you know, um, I've got two kids. I'm a single father. Um, I brought them up by myself uh, over the last 14 years. And um, I always used to make them the what we call crepe, crepes over here. They're like thin French-style pancakes, paper thin. Sure. Right. We, we went to the States uh, on holiday about five years ago, and that was when they discovered, you know, the American style of pancake, which has uh, a much sort of doughier um, yep. kind of consistency. And, you know, I, I, I thought, yep, that was nice. We did that. I carried on making them the thin, thin pancakes. And eventually one day, one of them kind of plucked up the courage to say, you know what, Dad, we don't really like these thin ones much. Can you not, you know, learn to do, the, uh, do, do it the American way? <laughs> and so I did. Nice. So that's it. Nice. So now we're converts. Okay, cool. Well, pancakes are tasty. I know I make a lot of them around here for my kids, so uh, they are tasty. Awesome. All right, I think we're all sounding good here. So why don't we start off with, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about what you are raising money for on Kickstarter right now? Okay, so basically I'm raising money for a garment bag, which means that you need never travel in your suit again. Which I don't think anybody enjoys. Any, any man out there wearing a suit's not 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 too fond of that. I mean, you're right, unless they're very status-obsessed and, you know, they want to be seen marching around in a suit. You know, irrespective of which class or on what mode of transport you're traveling, you know, you want to you want to sort of be wearing your slacks and your polo shirt and, you know, kick back and enjoy a complimentary beer if you can get one. You don't want to be worrying about, you know, whether your suit jacket is getting creased or whether you're going to, you know, spill something in an embarrassing place on your trousers. So, right, yeah, right. that was the need, really, that I, I identified. Sure. Well, let's dive into, I mean, so there are, like, what kind of bag is this? Like, what makes this bag special? Okay. Well, I mean, when you see it fully folded out, now, that's obviously hard for your listeners, but um, when it's fully opened, it looks like a conventional garment bag. It actually looks a little bit bigger. It's plenty spacious for, you know, the, the largest of jackets and the widest of trousers. However, as you fold it up, it's like origami. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it is, um, as our pitch goes, you know, about the size of a laptop bag. It's a very, yeah. very small. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. I mean, for, our, for my listeners, it's a laptop bag is what it looks like from afar, and there's a suit in there somehow. So That's I- it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's kind of magic. You know, people, when I take it to show, you know, retailers, for example, um, I, I kind of put it on the table in front of them, and they say, you know, so what have you got to show me? And I, I say, well, it's here, it's on the table. <laughs> and they sort of go, but I thought it was a suit bag. And right. I go, yeah, it's, it's in there. And there's this, you know, quite often kind of palpable sense of disbelief um, that, you know, a suit can be folded up uh, that compact and yet come out at the end of the journey with so few creases. Sure. So, so what, how do you do this in terms of, without giving away the, you know, the secrets here, but how do you do it so that the suit comes out, you know, looking good that I can throw it on and go to my business meeting? Okay, so um, first of all, uh, it, there is proprietary technology, but that we have applied for a patent for that, so I can speak about it quite openly. 
Um, essentially, at the heart of the Pleco bag is a folding uh, garment hanger or a folding jacket hanger. Um, it has two hinges in the center, which allows the bag to fold up very small. Hmm. So that is, if you like, the really novel uh, part of it in terms of, um, in terms of, you know, this moment of revelation or epiphany that I had about how you could make a better suit bag than anything else on the market. Obviously, I would say that, but yeah, um, yeah, it's it's about the hanger. The folding hanger is is really the sort of technological leap forward, for want of a better word. Right. And, and and for you, I mean, for my listeners, kind of the thing about this, I mean, the suit really does come out, even though you're folding it down to like the size of a laptop, it's still looking, you know, comes out looking clean and good, right? That's right. I mean, there is a second innovation, which is that the, the hangers, so there are two sets of hangers, one for your pants, as you call them over there, your trousers, yep. uh, and the other for your jacket, your sports jacket, your sports coat, I think is maybe the correct terminology yeah. in the States. Now, what these hangers do is they have quite powerful magnets in them. And there are corresponding magnets um, stitched into the lining of the bag. So basically, when you put your trousers in position and you put your jacket in position, those magnets attract to each other and they hold everything perfectly stable. What that means is that, you know, you could take the bag and throw it, you know, like, a, like, um, like an American football player. You know, you could throw it sort of 50 yards um, but the clothes really don't move inside. And that's extremely important because, you know, once things start shifting around, they shift out of shape and you put pressure on them. Um, you know, that, that's when you start to get creases and things. So that was, if you like, the, the introduction of the magnets was what made it sort of doubly effective, if you like. So, right, right. um, it also has a, it, it's also a little bit like a turtle or a tortoise, I guess it has a kind of very tough polyester shell which is quite kind of rigid but the interior of the bag um i know you readers can't see this but it's a beautiful kind of soft touch orange polyester um is a really delicate kind of material and and that's sort of almost like wrapping up your suit in in crepe paper or something so it's kind of tough on the outside but gentle on the inside if that makes sense (laughs) right cool Cool. So, well, let's back up a little bit. So, you know, where does this sort of idea come from? You know, where where's the 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 cocktail napkin sketch of this where you're like, hey, I think I got something here. Okay, I mean, it's it, this is a bit of a long story, so stop me if it's getting too long. But uh, basically, I used to work in finance and I used to be on a plane all the time. Now, uh, one day my boss was um, booked to speak at quite a kind of prestigious international conference in uh, in Dubai in the Middle East. And I can't remember the pretext, but he basically told me at 10 o'clock in the morning that that evening I was going to be flying out to Dubai. I had to learn the presentation by heart and give it on his behalf the following morning. So it was a kind of a red eye. Yeah. And uh, I was running around and, uh, you know, trying to grab a toothbrush from the local chemist and stuff. I went straight to the airport in my suit. Uh, I was in business class and I got a very agreeable... um, I got a very agreeable kind of platter set out in front of me, including Uh my salad. And I don't know if you remember, but the airlines used to have these sort of um, like sachets or something or little tubs of uh, salad dressing. And I was kind of trying to open this and I was feeling a little worried and apprehensive. And I I kind of yanked it open instead of pulling it open gently. (laughs) And this this kind of oily gunk landed, this is a little delicate, but it landed basically in my crotch. (laughs) And there was nothing I could do about it. I, ha- I was going straight from Dubai Airport to the conference center, and I had to spend the whole uh, speech that I was making, I wasn't even very confident about, kind of hiding behind the lectern. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and then carry on, you know, when I was meeting other delegates afterwards with this sort of embarrassing stain. Now... That's a great look. All guys want to have that look. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, that was, if you like, that's the kind of origin story, but there's a little bit more to it if you've got a second. Yeah, of course, um, yeah. Um, after my wife died, I, I kind of gave up um, work for about three, four years to look after the kids because they were really toddlers, as we called them over here. You know, they were, right. yeah. they were very young. Um, once they started going to school, I, um, you know, I started kind of looking around for some work to do. Um, and, uh, I found that business writing was, was, uh, something I was confident at, you know, I'd worked in finance, but I'm a liberal arts, uh, liberal arts student. Um, <clears throat> 
And after failing to write a novel, I kind of turned to business copywriting. Now, the thing about business copywriting is you have no overheads. Basically, right. it's me sitting at home with my uh, Mac and my printer. I'm sorry, I should say other computers are available, right? Um, so what was happening was that money was building up um, in, in the business account. And, uh, you know, I didn't really know what to do with it. I could have paid myself a dividend, but I thought, you know, why don't I try something sort of productive? Right. Um, because I've been thinking about this, you know, I think it was subconscious. It was always there in the back of my mind. Yeah. And um, I met a friend uh, at a pub, at a bar, and he was playing with this pair of Ray-Bans. I don't know if you know these aviator Ray-Bans, but they fold yeah. at the bridge. Yep. Yep. And then they become like, uh, you know, they go in a little cube-like box. And I thought, wow, what if you did that with a clothes hanger? What would happen? And that was it, really. Then That started a kind of a four-year journey. Um to the point that I'm at now, which is being, you know, like uh, weeks or, or perhaps months away from uh, having a viable product. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's really great. Yeah. So, so where'd you grow up? What's your, what's your background? Okay. So I'm what they called um, a diplomatic brat. Uh, my father was in the foreign service and I grew up um, uh, traveling all over the world uh, with him. So I've been to some pretty hairy places, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, um, places like that, uh, Beirut. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting childhood. Yeah. What'd your mom do? You know, uh, back in those days, uh, you know, the world wasn't such an equal place and she was kind right. of the unpaid, uh, hostess really, um, for the diplomatic functions. She supported my dad. She brought up the three kids, uh-huh. Uh, manage the household. I, I, I know it sounds incredibly quaint now. It sounds so old-fashioned. Yeah, but, yeah, that's how it was back in the 60s, 70s when they started out. Sure, sure. So, so I mean, do you see this entrepreneur spirit in, in either your, your parents or grandparents back in the day? Like, where, where do you think that, you know, because even, even if you had the idea, you still had, must have had something gnawing at you a little bit, like, to, to, to start this. You know, um, the thing is, um, most of my family are in, you know, very solid professional careers. Mm -hmm. We would use a French word bourgeois over here to kind of describe the sort of family we are. I think the inspiration probably came from my grandfather, who was um, a royal military engineer and uh, served in India and Burma during the uh, during the Second War. Now, he was a fantastic kind of tinkerer. um, And... It was a real kind of treat for us while he was alive um, as youngsters to kind of go into his um, garage and kind of tinker with the stuff. You know, he he was a great engineer. He was a mechanical engineer and an electrical engineer. Mm. Um, There was nothing he he couldn't fix. I remember... You remember the Sony Walkman, right? I guess you're yeah, you're oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. So I I had got one of the very early Sony Walkmans um, from a friend in Hong Kong, and inevitably something went wrong after about six months. Now, despite the fact that he was seventy-two and quite fragile, he dissembled this Sony Walkman and managed to put it right. I don't know if it was one of the motors or what it was, right. and I just re- the the admiration and respect I had for that guy for being able to sort out, you know, this piece of new technology. And there was me kind of like, you know, 18 years old, kind of not knowing positive from negative, really. Right, right. So I wonder if it skips generations. But, um, you know, I've always wanted to do something practical. And that's been the great thing about this journey with The Hangar is, you know, I've been involved with people who are making tangible products that solve real, if, if first world problems. But, you know, most people, as you said, right up front of the package, most people do not like traveling in a suit. They love wearing right. them. They love looking yeah. great. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's no fun, you know, standing in the immigration queue for an hour and a half or whatever sure. in a fine wool suit. So, yeah. So is, is there anyone, you know, maybe outside of your grandpa, kind of expanding on this a little bit, that really inspires you, whether it's like a CEO or an old coworker? friends around you? I mean, what, what really inspires you to, to kind of, you know, to, to want to make a product like this? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, we have some, uh, you know, very respected um, engineers in this country. Jo- Johnny Ive, for example, uh, uh, at Apple. Um, and we have a guy called um, uh, Dyson, who yeah. makes these uh, fans and vacuum cleaners. Um, I have I'm, one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're very popular. We also have um, kind of crossover designers. Um, <clears throat> there's a guy from Nottingham called Paul Smith who 
um, is famously big in Japan. Uh, he does amazing, funky kind of suits and bags that slightly um, slightly uh, subvert your expectations because, you know, the suit on the outside will be a fairly typical grey or blue colour, but then you open it up and it's got this fantastic kind of floral lining. Cool. Now, I'd like to do something like that with the, the Pleco garment bag. You know, uh, on the outside, it's kind of ashamedly for business travellers. So it's that sort of typical black nylon or right. polyester to me kind of, you know, ballistic nylon look. But one of the reasons I wanted the inside to be a slightly more um, standout color was because I felt, you know, most most business luggage is kind of boring. You know, it all looks the same. That's why people tie red ribbons on it so that they know it's their, you know, case coming off the carousel. Yeah, it's so, so, it's so, it's so funny you mentioned that. So I, I just traveled uh, two weeks ago and my luggage is literally like neon green. And I, right. like I could see it everywhere it went. <laughs> the guy putting it in the plane and then... You know the the guy putting all in the whatever the little waiting area. It's like it's like forty black bags in my neon one. Oop, I'll take yeah. that. Thank you. <laughs> you know. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's great. That's very practical. Um, I think you know uh, a lot of business people, for all you know, their their kind of road warrior ethos, are actually quite conservative when it comes to choosing luggage. Yeah. It may be that they don't even choose it themselves. It may be that their partners choose it. You know. Um, right. Right. But I wanted this to be not only a bag that was practical, but also distinctive. Yeah. You know, it would stand out just a little. And I think the pink, sorry, the um, orange trim kind of achieves that. Yeah, that's cool. So, you know, as you're, how long have you been working on then, I guess, this, this prototype? Or how, like, what's the time frame that you've been working on this product? So I guess on and off um, for about three and a half years now. Uh, you know, I've been bringing up the kids. I've been uh, yeah. doing my writing business. It hasn't been full time. Right, right. Um, you know, we have long school holidays over here when it's kind of frustratingly slow progress. Um, I got that but, coming in three weeks. Uh, for, yeah, for, yeah. You'll start even earlier than us, right? Yeah. I'll start sort yeah. of early July, but I think yours are yours, yours yeah. are about to rain early. down on your head. Yeah, mid June, I get the kids three days a week, and then I'm still supposed to run a business. So, <laughs> no, no. I you have my complete sympathy. I'm in exactly the same boat. But you know, you get you see more of your kids, right? That's the upside. Oh, of course. So yeah, I'm not I'm not really complaining about it. I'm just like, all right, I just gotta really get into the automation, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Nothing like bringing up kids to yeah, yeah. I hear you. So over those kind of three and a half years or so, or whatever it is, like, what's been the biggest pivot point? Was there anything that just happened that you just couldn't couldn't execute or couldn't do? I mean, um, I don't want to get into um, recent political developments too much, but um, you probably know that the United Kingdom has opted to leave the rest of Europe. Yeah, um, we, have a, we have a little bit of stuff going on over here, too. Uh, we have a abs- four-year-old abs- child abs- uh, <laughs> you know, running yeah. our country, but that's fine. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of fine. Um, but, you know, I have a few friends in, in both camps um, uh-huh. many more i have to say in in the uh you know remain camp mm-hmm. now when uh, our currency sterling lost 20 percent of its value overnight oh. at that stage i nearly did think about throwing it in i just thought you know i'm sourcing everything in dollars because if you're buying in the international market then dollars is is you know your currency right um, but obviously I'm, I'm selling my bags here in the UK primarily to start with. Um, and the currency is, um, is, is, is sterling. So I was losing a lot. And in fact, one of the great things about the Kickstarter campaign, if I can digress slightly, sure, of course, is, yeah. is, you know, the export orders that I've had from all over the world means that I have to worry less about that currency risk. Wow. So, yeah. you know, um, Top market, US, then Germany, Australia, United Arab Emirates, Singapore, Canada, Japan, Sweden, Netherlands. So hmm. really good um, mix of countries there. Um, yeah. Now, I did have a second problem. I don't know if I can share this with you. Um, yeah, yeah, by all means. <laughs> sure. Um, the original name that I had for this bag, when I did a little digging around, it turned out that the trademark was owned by no less than Walmart in the US. Interesting. I had the trademark in the UK, so that was fine, and in Europe, so I could sell the bags here. And I remember going in to see my patent attorney and saying, look, um, I've got this problem. Do you think I should just kind of take a chance and probably Walmart won't notice? And he just shook his head slowly and said, 
you do not want to go up against Walmart, sir. <laughs> no, no, you don't. They have a little bit of money here. <laughs> yes, indeed. Anyway, I, I think we may be straying into, you know, um, into controversial territory, let's say, if sure, we go sure. too much further yeah. with that one. Yep. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> Great. It's interesting. So, you know, kind of the flip side of that, though, what, what are the things, or what was that moment where you just, like, you were looking at it, maybe a first prototype, or, or whatever it is that you just knew you had something? You know, a friend said, this is awesome. You know, was there any moment like that you just, this is awesome, this is going to work? Yeah, so I had a very good friend called uh, James over here in, in London. And, you know, he's, he'd probably sort of been in the loop about this product for about a year. Mm-hmm. You know what I was doing? I went back to night school. I bought myself a secondhand industrial sewing machine, and I was making the bags myself, testing them, testing them, just tinkering with them, improving them, you know, changing the dimension slightly. He... Uh, he, he, bought, he was uh, buying me a beer one day, and he said, look, I'm going to uh, Singapore next week. Can I have one of your bags? And I went, oh, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think there could be some. And he just put his hand on my shoulder and said, I'm taking it, and I'm going to test it for you. And that right. was it. He kind of took the decision out of my hands. And, you know, I think this is something that um, affects a lot of people in creative industries, including product design. You know, if they continue to tinker with it, they never have to face the real possibility of failure. They can yep. always kind of tell themselves, you know, I might not do it this year, but, you know, maybe next year I'll, you know, find the secret source that'll make it work. And I really want to thank this guy, James, because he forced me to kind of come out of my denial and confront whether this would work or not. Yeah. Um, and fortunately, you know, he, he was very positive about it. And, That's awesome. Um, you know, then after that, I had the confidence to go to more field testers. Um, you know, not every bit of, of feedback was positive, but overwhelmingly people came back and said, this did a great job. I think it's a great product. I'm going to tell my friends about it. And so, you know, I got a, an email list of 600 people who are, you know, supportive of this project, which is a great place to be when you're starting a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, yeah, that's a great position to be in. So are, do, you, do you have any like personal habits that you think are contributing to, to the success you're having right now? Um, I would come back to the children. So, you know, if you have children, irrespective of whether you're bringing them up on your own or not, you do have to be responsible and disciplined and organized. So, you know, as a single parent, there has to be food in the fridge. I can't tell my partner, hey, look, you know what, I've forgotten some milk, can you pick it up on the way home? You know, it's, it's, it's my job 24 hours a day to be responsible for the children. And I think if you take the same kind of, uh, serious application of your responsibilities to product development um you know you can you 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 can succeed you can be resilient you know i've had knockbacks but i've come back from them simply because i think i'm organized uh, and i'm disciplined now i'm I'm sounding a bit of a kind of nazi here (laughs) i i hope i'm a nice person too um but i guess the uplifting you know the kind of uplifting conclusion is you know if you want to do it enough you can you've just got to you know um, plan and execute meticulously and make sure that you have the resources when you start out, you know? Sure. Sure. So like, do you, do you have a morning routine at all that you could share or anything like that? Or, or even maybe something you might do before bed? Um, so essentially, um, before bedtime, I do a bit of yoga, but that's probably not what your fellow crowdfunders no, need to I, hear. I do Bikram yoga. <laughs> I started yoga a year ago. Yeah. So yeah, it helps I'm glad you're enjoying line. it. Yep. So, I mean, essentially, yes, I do. I have a list of um, things that I do in the morning. Uh, this was the case before the campaign, and it is still the case now. So the very first thing I do is I go to my dashboard, um, I pull up my backers report, and I thank each and every person individually, whether it's $1 or $1,000. Um, the second thing I do is I attend to my social media. Now, you know, uh, people have mixed views on social media, but for me, it's a relatively straightforward message of kind of checking in and saying, you know, this is what we're doing today. This is where we are. This is where our campaign is. I try not to make it too corporate. I chuck in pictures of the kids and, you know, amusing things that I've seen on the streets. But, you know, I think keeping some kind of presence there every day is important. Um, not least since I think, you know, the Instagram and Twitter algorithms are, are kind of looking that, are looking at that, you know, 100%. um, if you're, if you're feeding the baby, then, you know, the baby grows. Yep. Um, I go and check my Google analytics. I find that a very useful tool. Um, 
all of these things, I should say now, are pretty much uh, you know available as apps on the iPhone, which is really handy because you know I can do it over a coffee sure. um, with friends. Um, uh, e- even Facebook ads now, there's an app for that. You know, it's it's yep. not anything like as powerful as the kind of full desktop version, but right. you know, at a pinch, you can you can launch a um, a campaign from there. Sure. Sure. So, um, though I, w- I won't go on about what the other six things are, but yeah, I believe <laughs> a really disciplined approach does help. Um, uh, the other important thing I think is is keeping on top of your emails. So, I am amazed how many spammers there are out there. Uh, I, I was told there would be, but I, it, I was still surprised. Now, the, the the problem is that you know, for one, in in every one of the ten spams, there's a guy like you who really is genuine and has you know can can help yeah. which means that you know you 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 can't just kind of send them all to your junk box you've got to you know you've got to at least have a cursory look yeah and that is so time consuming and you can't delegate it really as a project creator unless you have really really robust supporters you've got to make a judgment call on all of them so i, I yeah. hear you that's, yeah. yeah that's that's been our approach i i, I we've always gone with the and I just like to have a conversation because I love crowdfunding. I want to know more. You know, I try to go with the curiosity as much as possible because I'm always fascinated on all these stories. I mean, just everything we're talking about now. I mean, I, I, I just love that entrepreneur spirit and how people, you know, keep driving to the hole. You know, you know, I just love it, man. It's such a such a great thing. You know, this is the biggest buzz that I've had since I, I was, you know, at university, probably. I have learned so much. Um, you know, I, I'm almost thinking of, of sort of seeing if I can create some kind of, you know, crowdfunding boot camp. I'm sure someone else has, has, has sort of done this. But, you know, I feel I've learned so much in the last three months preparing for and executing this campaign that it would be a shame not to let other people see that. Oh, um, well, you know, I'll tell you something that's it. happened. I mean, I'm on, you know, I've been doing this for seven years now. And whenever I go and try to help other marketers just market any sort of product, they can't comprehend how crowdfunding is the hardest marketing to do on the planet, right? Like yeah. it's my, my ads directly have a wallet behind them, right? Like if I yeah. did this ad, it equaled $800, you know, or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And, and people can't tie that into like, well, why would I want to use you to increase my awareness on Facebook? Yeah. Really? Really? You yeah. can't tie that together so it's it's just amazing how how much a successful kickstarter teaches you really good marketing techniques you know i mean absolutely um at the same time you know um i i found things good and bad so one thing that's good is that you know kickstarter despite its size despite its scale is still a genuine community i'm surprised how many backers come back to me once i thank them um to say how much they like the project or to offer yeah. me a tip or something. They don't have to do that. You know, they're the ones pledging the money. They're not obliged to do any more. Right. But, you know, that community thing is still there. I am worried, however, a little bit by what you might call kind of serial Kickstarters. Oh, yeah. Um, organizations that are now quite big and I would say are in danger of kind of gaming the system. Yep. You know, <laughs> you, see, you, you know the kind have... of ones I mean. Oh, important. Sorry? 100%. We're... I would say we have that same fear here. We're looking at it and going, we're losing the community and we're getting McDonald's, you know, or type of type of tone, right? We're getting fat, you know, big, huge companies coming in and doing it. And it's like, eh, that's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you look, um, you know, I, I watched a couple the other day and um, I mean, I love San Francisco and I've been there a lot, but I was kind of watching this video and it was almost like the introduction to a James Bond film. You know, there was like a helicopter swooping past Golden Gate Bridge and, you know, <laughs> Uh, and you were kind of thinking, like, you know, these guys pr- probably haven't just spent a couple of thousand dollars making this video. You know, the production values alone um, suggest that, you know, people see it, and, and perhaps it's not a bad thing, they see it as an alternative to, to venture capital. Yep. You know, and it's, it's okay, it's fine, but, you know, obviously the reason people are kick-starting, by and large, is because they don't have any money to start with. Yep. Uh, Indiegogo is called Indiegogo because it's like indie, right? Yeah. Once, once it stops being indie, you wonder, you know, whether that ethos, what, what will happen to that? And I think that would be a shame. Yeah. 
Oh, I, I agree. I mean, one of my things right now that I tell uh, you know, when I teach classes and talk about it is I don't know over here in America, especially I don't know what's left because banks don't talk to small businesses for for loan. Like they just you're not going to get a loan from anybody yeah. right now. Uh, you don't want to put it on credit card. Have that, like that's a bad business move. You can only wait so long for your grandma to die to give you an inheritance or you know to to throw in. So what's left? You know, like it's like and and I I look at crowd, we've always looked at crowdfunding. It's like it it's the best thing to prove viability. You know, hey, should you actually be working on this idea before you go and spend twenty thousand dollars on something or whatever it might be? So it's just there's just so many benefits that that's why we're worried too, man. We just don't want to see it to go this this route of big business and and kind of weed out all the little guys you know yeah i mean you know i think it 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 is hard now you know maybe you're a collective you want to buy uh you know buy or lease a warehouse in brooklyn and turn it into a community cinema you know in the old days you you probably would have got that funded because there were just so many fewer projects happening you know you could go out and make a movie with your, your your smartphone nowadays i think it's much harder for people down there to achieve that. And in fact, I was very surprised with my own campaign that, that anyone saw it because, you know, 35,000 pounds, is about 50,000 us. I mean, it's a tiddly amount compared to the amount some people are raising. Um, and I, I've been really pleasantly surprised by how much interest it's generated because, you know, I just was not expecting that. I thought I'd be kind of twisting my grandmother's um, elbow at the last minute to to get across the line. So, Well, well, to yeah. to me, one of the reasons I reached out is I, I very rarely look at the number, like the 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 dollar amounts. I looked at the four hundred and fifty some backers. I think that's a you know that's a lot of people to buy in early and be a you know to buy in early to your idea to let you go into version two point version three, whatever you go, you know, with still fifteen days to go. So yeah. I look at that number. I'm like, that's a lot of people for a for a garment bag like what you're working on, you know. Yes, I mean, you know, I think it's, it's um, you know, this is part of my marketing spiel where people say, like, you know, what, why should I buy this bag? Uh, you know, I don't wear suits very often, especially in creative industries. But, you know, at the end of the day, everyone needs to wear a suit at some stage or other in their life unless they're a guru sitting on the side of a mountain in Nepal, right? right? I mean, you've got a wedding, you've got your grandmother's whatever, 90th yep. birthday. Everyone, you know, uh, everyone needs to at some stage. Um, and... A lot of people actually like doing that, you know, and then there's a whole other market I haven't really tapped into the, you know, the active commuters, um, the bag for women travelers, which actually I'm now committed to doing because I I passed that um, stretch objective. But it's also gotten me to thinking that, you know, there's a lot more out there, um, both in business and leisure travel that I could do to, you know, actually base a product development process by going out and talking to people about, you know, what it is that niggles them, you know, what their hassles are. Because I think most of the big luggage designers are, are, are like sort of design shops, you know. They have their preconceived idea, and then it's very much about materials, finishes, and stuff like that. Um, and, and I think Kickstarter and Indiegogo are actually tremendous because they, they promote young designers who say, hell, you know, backpacks have always looked like this, but we're going to do something completely different. And, um, you know, this one, is it palanquin or something? There's one that's shaped like a kind of turtle or something or, uh, you know, um, all kinds of great things happening out there. And I always try and back them, even if it's, you know, just a few dollars because, um, you know, I think they're trying to do something good. Yeah. Yeah, We're we're doing the same thing. Whenever I see cool things, I'm, I'm, you know, hey, here's a couple bucks. Keep going. What you know, keep doing what you're doing. But this was my first year where I think I bought about ninety percent of my Christmas gifts off Kickstarter. All my kids' toys and and you know, it was a really good thing. And and I and I only had one project creator. You know, I got my gift or my son got a gift in February. You know, I was like ah, but but mostly everybody hit it. And I, I don't know. This was like it was like a feel good moment for me that you know, I know that everybody everything I bought. Mm, I, I don't know, we kept businesses up or, you know, they got to go work on the next project or whatever it is. It was just a real good feel-good moment for me uh, this past year. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, I used to back the occasional project, um, particularly bags, because I love bags um, and I, I love gadgets as well. But actually, since I started this campaign, I've been backing campaigns at, a, at the rate of about, you know, three every two days. <laughs> um, you know, when you are emotionally invested in it, you actually understand what it's like for other people. And, you know, 
maybe some of the things I bought aren't so great in the harsh light of day, but you know, I want to kind of give these guys a hand. I know what they're going through. Um, so yeah, it's funny. It's funny. So, so, well, let's just, uh, you know, kind of officially flip over to this Kickstarter talking a little bit more about that. So what was like a pre-marketing strategy that you put together before you launched your bag? Okay. Well, I mean, I don't think I'm saying anything that's very new here. Um, but you know, email lists are useful, particularly if they are, you know, people who are connected with you. So, you know, I took a lot of trouble to go around and show my prototypes to friends and friends of friends and build a sort of word of mouth buzz. You know, everyone knows that Patrick is doing this bag thing, bag thing. You know, they probably didn't remember the name, but yeah, yeah, the suit bag. Yeah, I remember, you know. Um, I also reached out a lot to people in the industry. So I would shamelessly kind of hassle people for a coffee, you know. Uh, guys in retail, designers, um, people with contacts, textile manufacturers, you know, just kind of stick my foot in the door and say, look, you know, I'm just starting here. Do us a favor. And about half of them did and half of them didn't. So, you know, my e- email list was um, uh, sort of half professional sort of contacts and half personal contacts. So, yeah, one is email lists and the other is Facebook ads. Um the power of Facebook is just extraordinary and perhaps slightly frightening if you're the kind of person who, who has read Circle and believes that, you know, <laughs> there are corporations out there that are going to take over the world. You know, having said that, I found them to be cheaper than rival platforms and the targeting is just, you know, it's awesome, I think, to use the word that's big in the States. L- you know, laser you can, beam focus. I mean, it's scary how yeah, far you can get into somebody's yeah, yeah. pocket. You, you, can, you can target people, you know, down to the level of individual buildings. Yep. You know, it's that, uh, it's that amazing. So, yeah, I would highly recommend people do a bit of A-B testing before they launch so that, you know, you have your most um, uh, best-defined audience uh, informed and probably engaged by the time you start. And <clears throat> during your campaign, you're not worried about whether you've got the right audience, you're just worried about how do you get more of them to convert. Sounds kind of obvious, but I think a lot of people miss that. Um, and I'm very glad that I, you know, I worked with a buddy of mine to, uh, to, to get the kind of the, the informational and engagement stages out of the way so that we could begin really with conversion on day one. That's cool. That's cool. So I know this might be a stupid question because you have a very successful campaign going on right now, but if you could do it all over again, would there be anything that you do differently? Definitely. I would have a bigger team. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I thought that, you know, if I had the right kind of people around me, uh, videographer, you know, photographer, social media experts, I have all these people, but they're self-employed. What I really need is someone to like firefight. You know, if your campaign uh, gets off to a great start, you need someone who can bang away at a, t- uh, uh, at a keyboard, who can make you a cup of tea when, you know, you're, you haven't eaten for 24 hours. Right. Um, you know, there are certain things you can't automate. Um, there are certain things you can't ask your project partners to do because although they're part of the team, they're not the creator. They're not, you know, living and breathing it in the same way. So, you know, have, have another pair of hands or, or two. I think would be another bit of advice um, where I'm doing it again. That's cool. So, you know, so what happens uh, what, in 15 days, you know, the money starts to come in. What is your first steps uh, to bring this product to, uh, to the backers? So, I mean, I'm in the happy position that I already have basically approved samples um, of the hangers and of the bag. So pretty much uh, today, I know what my minimum order quantity, you know, uh, will be if... Mm-hmm if the project continues to deliver at the same rate. So pretty much, you know, the day after it closes, I'll be placing those factory orders. Um, and then I'll be going out to do the quality assurance and quality control myself. I think that's a vital step that people doing business in the Far East sometimes are a little bit over-optimistic about. You know, you, you need to go and you need to look the factory manager in the eye. You need to go and have a, yep. you know, whiskey with him after work or whatever. Right. So that will be, you know, probably my my second highest priority. Uh, I don't know yet how much admin there is, but I think there probably is quite a lot of administration, right? You've got to chase up people to get their shipping details and yep. and all that kind of thing. 
but you know, probably the very first thing I'll do is open a bottle of champagne and you know, <laughs> that's good. Um, drink that with celebrate. my fellow collaborators. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. So, how about a you know, with 15 days to go and a successful campaign under the belt, though? But are there any sort of strategies that you're using over the next two weeks to to keep that momentum going? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, I haven't found much about this um, on the internet, but basically cross-promotions, you know, uh, Pico Times, Jeff Wendell, they are so powerful and they work for everyone. Um, and I don't know why more people don't use them because it's for me, it's a no-brainer. You know, I know a guy who's doing a rucksack for business travelers. I'm doing mm -hmm. a suit bag for business travelers. Put them together and you get more than twice the sum of the parts. Yep. So I am intending basically now that I've got my fires put out um, by the fire brigade, I'm going to be doing a lot of reaching out to other projects, which I think have synergies with mine. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, Kickstarter makes it so easy with its custom tags. It's so, so easy. It's like a five minute job and I'm, I'm going to blitz it. That's, you know, that's what I'm going to do because, you know, you do need to keep something exciting happening. I think the other obvious thing is, and I planned this way in advance, have another um, pledge level at some stage, about yeah. halfway through the campaign, uh, to, you know, sort of try and reinvigorate uh, uh, your campaign if it's looking a little flaccid. And I have a suspicion that Kickstarter probably watches these things. And if you're bringing on new pledge levels, they probably bump you up a bit, um, maybe even put you in again as a kind of new project. So yep. um, all these things are known about. It's, it's like I said earlier, it's just a question of discipline, um, you know, making sure that you have the time to think strategically during the campaign and, and that you're not just buried in, in replying to backers because yep. you need a unique combination of skills, which is the ability to kind of look at your project strategically from a helicopter view and also actually get on and reply to all those backers so that they're hearing with you from you within 24 hours, not, mm -hmm. you know, 96 hours. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, all, all great things that you're planning on doing, I've heard actual great results from all those things. So we've done a few of those techniques as well uh, for our campaigns here. So, so what, what does scale look like for you? What, where are you envisioning this company, this, these ideas in the next five years or so? Well, um, I've got quite a few ideas up my sleeve already. Um, and I think if you have done one successful crowdfunding campaign, then the second and third come much easier. Yep. Um, I've got lots of um, ideas for more travel products, um, but that's not what I'd really like to focus on. I'd actually like to focus more on... Um, a number of things, actually. One of them I'm calling kind of Kikipedia, which would be like um, an open source platform for people to um, share knowledge, but also to barter skills. So, for example, I know a guy who's very good at social media, as uh, at Facebook ads. I also know a guy who's very good at uh, graphic design. But the graphic designer doesn't know anything about social media ads and the social media guy doesn't know anything about graphics. And essentially set up a barter system where people could exchange an hour of their time to understand an important aspect of crowdfunding that, you know, they would otherwise have to pay, you know, someone hundreds or thousands of dollars for. Sure, sure. Um, and there are many other things um, that I think. You know, because it is about community. It sounds a little cheesy, but, you know, I would like to get more involved going forward in, um, in, in sort of projects that nurture the Kickstarter community and make it easier for first-time Kickstarters to, to get up to speed. Now, I know there's tons of stuff on this on the Internet already. In fact, you mentioned that guy, Morajon, I think, before, who is uh, the Crowdster guy. No, the art of the Kickstart, sorry. Yeah. Yep. Um, but actually the crowds, the guy as well, whose name I forget, um, is also, they're great bloggers, mm -hmm. but you know, you have to read 10 lousy articles on crowdfunding before you find a good one, before you, you know, strike gold, so to speak. So, I mean, well, you know, also how fast everything's changing. I mean, like Facebook changes an algorithm. Yeah. Whatever. Instagram goes away. Snapchat's huge. Snapchat goes away. Instagram's back. Whatever. 
you know. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't deny that, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, dynamism in terms of the platforms, but some of the things are just kind of common sense. Yeah. You know, a lot of marketing is, is, is kind of, has been there for hundreds of years and the principles don't change. Um, it's the platforms that change. So, you know, behave with in- integrity, behave with humility, behave with transparency. Um, those are all things that, you know, will help your campaign, whether it's Facebook ads or Twitter ads or, you know, newspaper ads, to be quite honest. Sure. Yep. Um, so I, so I think, did you ever read the, uh, the book uh, Ogilvy on advertising? Like yeah, I mean, he's, he's yeah. a very famous guy over here yeah. because, you know, he's a Brit. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, and it's great. I think it's a shame people these days don't have enough time or don't feel they have enough time to read long-form books like that anymore. Yeah. Um, which is why I was thinking of actually doing a, a kind of a 30-day tweet, um, you know, along the lines of, of um, Kickstarter boot camp. Because, yeah. you know, pe- people like 144 words, and I like writing. So if yeah. and when this is all over, I might turn my, turn my hand to that. Yeah. Well, Patrick, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk about your campaign. Really cool product. I mean, anybody out there traveling consistently, wearing suits and having to do it for business, I think this is just an unbelievable product. And uh, you definitely tapped into, a, tapped into a cool market there. Thank you so much. And I'm just going to give a little plug for my next stretch objective, which will be sure, the produced yeah, yeah. one for, um, for active commuters. You know, guys who cycle to work, uh, run to work, maybe they're um, motorcyclists. We're building a kind of super tough one, uh, or we will be if we hit 75K. Um, especially for those guys. So that's cool. Well, yeah, and where can people where can people find more info outside of the Kickstarter? With, yeah, uh, how can people yeah. find you? So uh, we have uh, www.plicobag.com. Um, there's a bit more information there. Essentially, at the moment, we are just pushing the Kickstarter, but we will be going live with an e-commerce site um, hopefully pretty soon after the campaign closes, and then people can pre-register. Um, their interest. I mean, the other thing is, I'd say is I'm happy to hear from anyone who wants to contact me personally. You know, my name is there on the campaign. My address is there. You know, if people want to reach out, uh, you can never have too much feedback is my, my, my take on it. Awesome. Awesome. Patrick, thanks again for taking up, uh, taking some time, uh, during, in the middle of a busy campaign and all the stuff you got going on. I, I, I really appreciate it. It's a real pleasure. And you know what? It's really helped me to clear up some things in my own mind, too, about what is and isn't important. So well, you've been a huge help to me. Hey, okay. I like it when it's a two-way street, you know? I hope you feel it is. Thank you so oh, much. It totally is, man. Thank you. Okay. Bye. All right. How about that conversation with Patrick? I told you. Did you guys feel that energy? That's what we look for for project creators. That's what I talk about in the rants. That's what I talk about sometimes in the blog about just having that energy and that emotion. And Patrick's got it, man. And I wish him a ton of success uh, on this project and, and, and wherever he envisions going, uh, envision goings with, with his ideas and the brand. Really great stuff, man. So the song we're listening to is a song called Changes. I thought this would be appropriate for the intro of this podcast. Um, it's a song I wrote a long time ago. Um, kind of all about life and, and, and what we're all going through. So uh, hopefully enjoy it, and I'll talk to you all on Monday with another new episode. so strong now Could slip away without even knowing how You stare at me, I stare at you The war between us is almost through I raise my white flag and surrender single tear could show her you don't need her anymore i don't need your love i just want it i wanted to choose my words but i couldn't i wanted my thoughts my words my voice to be so clear you don't need my love you just want it i thought your words were supposed to be honest i wanted your thoughts your words your voice to
watch the door close I gotta see it by the window So I can watch the people by the road Every street that pass and fade Reminds me of the years gone by From the very first day they feel so good But I don't want them And he says these words once more Day is the day That our life is gonna change And I need to find my way Without you is the only Stop